Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Tuesday night special report. It really is a special report tonight as we bring you news about what's going on in the January 6th investigation and the hearings going on in Capitol Hill. Hello, Eric Garland. How are you? It's good to see you again. Hello. It's very special. I, I am a little bit, you know, this is all momentous stuff that we're all discovering. And it's momentous information that the Jan 6 committee has been sharing with the nation. It is a moment of joy, actually. And I, I don't want us to forget that. It is an important triumph of justice that we are finally getting to hear these important facts, these important narratives that America has been needing to hear for so long. And finally, now we're getting to hear it. It's such a point of victory. And sure, it involves a lot of tension. And sure, it involves allegations against people that they might not like. But truthfully, this is the moment that America gets saved. This is the moment that the American Constitution stands up and rule of law stands up. And I think we can't forget that. So I'm going to say it is still special. It's still very joyous. And we're going to continue to provide as much detail and as much information as we can as we've learned new things about who funded Jan 6, who was behind all the people involved in Jan 6, and also brand new information this evening from the committee vice chairman herself, Liz Cheney, who just posted a video a short while ago online. But before we do that, we should also talk about some other things. I see Lauren Bobart has a history as an unlicensed paid escort, according to somebody. I don't know what the licensure board is like, but... Um... Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, there was some scuttle butt about that. Uh, apparently, a history of uh, selling certain services. I don't know. No doubt, consistent with family values. Yeah, and apparently, she met uh, Senator Ted Cruz in Aspen through the Koch family member escort client. I checked all this myself. I don't know for sure, but it certainly looks like it's catching a lot of attention online. Uh, you know, so. I, I wonder if there might be some <laughs> revelations that drop here and there. And who knows what the source might be of that kind of thing. You know, as we get towards the truth of January 6th and some of those people who stepped on the playing field uh, at the last minute are pretty useless. Um, if you all recall, like, you know, for as much as airtime as these freshmen Congress critters have gotten, like Bobert and Green, there's nobody less useful in Washington than a first-year Congress critter. Not even a doorstop or, or speed bump level of utility in Washington. And they, of course, got all this attention because, well, the first thing they did was roll into town and announce that they wanted to wear pistols onto the floor of the Capitol just prior to an attempted violent coup d'etat. Mm -hmm. I mean, not exactly Daniel Patrick Moynihan or uh, Abraham Lincoln in terms of statesmanship. Um, not, not a good look, know. really, at all, in under any circumstances, and just there to rile up the opposition. Remember, there was a real credible feeling among some people, in, in AOC specifically, worried about her life because these uh, congressmen were arriving into the, into the jobs, into the halls of Congress with weapons on them, you know, Rightly so. I would be worried, too, under these circumstances that, you know, they should at least be able to enter workplace where there's a lot of tension and discussion going on without uh, fearing that their opposite numbers have weapons strapped to themselves. So real quick, uh, real quick, do you know where they have a really tight control of firearms at work? Like a fucking Marine barracks, an army base. You're not allowed to just fucking carry guns right. wherever you want. That's, and that's the people that shoot you to death for a living. And you're not allowed to just carry guns all over the of place. What the, I mean, this is this is where all the, you know, like it starts with Applebee's. It's like, oh, we should be able to carry weapons at Applebee's. You're not allowed to do that on an army base. Mm. You're not allowed to carry, you know, you want to own your own gun. They're going to keep it in a locker. Yeah, they, they can bring the guns in. Apparently, they just have to store them somewhere. And that's not okay for them. Apparently, they wanted to walk right in there, you know, oh, so they could see eye to eye as they're, you no, know. They, they were trying like, to puncture the bubble mm. of, no, it's okay to bring firearms near your, your elected officials. There's no other place on earth, maybe Somalia, where that kind of thing flies. And, you know, it's not a, it's the same kind of. And the rules are the you know, rules. Government the we want to the run. Rules. The rules are the rules. No matter where you are, you know, you follow the rules because those are them. That's how society runs. If the rules tell you no guns, don't bring your guns to work, okay? It's as There are no that. firearms allowed in D.C. unless your first name is secret and your last name is service. You know, right. <laughs> there are some notable exceptions, but there's no guns in D.C. I gather you can get some permits even as a Congress critter, but there's security details. I mean – there was no need for it. It was just to clear the way for, hey, guys, come on, you know, I'm doing it. I'll be armed. Why don't you come here and be armed, too, and maybe shoot Nancy Pelosi in the back? Look, I think what we've learned through these last few years is this entire MAGA movement has been filled with people who are there to gaslight a nation to really damage who we are as a nation and then also create as much polarization, as much violence, as much tension as possible. And while doing that, you know, 
get away with doing a lot of criming behind the scenes, which I think, you know, it's one thing going in and causing a lot of gaslighting and, hey, look at us, controversy, controversy, controversy. That's one thing. But when you're doing that to cover up for the fact that you're stealing millions of dollars, then it's getting to a point of complete disgust. I mean, it's just like it's a point where you can't accept it at all. I mean, politicians are allowed to say whatever they want to say. If they feel like they want to gaslight, go ahead. But when they're doing that to cover up the crimes that their fellow politicians are doing, as we found out last night about January the 6th, you know, there's one thing that was missing in, in a lot of the coverage yesterday. Yeah, we, we, there were three things that came out of yesterday's really important hearing. I hope everybody goes, watches it, listens to it very carefully. They wanted you to know, firstly, that Donald Trump knew that he lost the election, that he oh, yeah. planned, regardless of whether he lost the election or not, to say that the election was stolen from him, that it was a lie. Oh, that yeah. All his staff, all his key staffers told him that he had lost the election and anything he might do to suggest otherwise would be stupid and folly and possibly illegal. Yep. And then he still went ahead with it. And then there was the yep. and but at the end, which I was just like, and he raised $250 million off this whole thing. Where'd that come from? $250 million that he pocketed by himself, didn't get to spend it on anything. Well, gave it to some people, gave it to Mark Meadows a million dollars, gave, you know, Ivanka, Jared some money, who knows? But everybody else didn't get any money because there was no defense of those frauds because guess what? The frauds weren't really there. So he pocketed the money. Sure. So this is money from supporters of Donald Trump that he stole on the way out the door while gaslighting an entire country, you know, into feeling that the constitution was going to be completely damaged and the end of democracy was ragged here. I mean, we have to understand the kind of people we're dealing with here. These are not good people by any stretch of the imagination. There's no passable grade for anybody who's part of this MAGA world. And I think what's being done so well, especially by Liz Cheney, is that she's driving that point home night after night. And she's so credible on this one. She put out a video just a short while ago. I'm going to play the full thing. It includes a brand new clip about John Eastman from one of his colleagues, a lawyer. Let's take a listen to Liz Cheney. Yesterday, the select committee's hearing showed all Americans that President Trump's claims of a stolen 2020 election were, to use former Attorney General Barr's words, complete nonsense. We heard this from Donald Trump's own campaign experts, his own campaign lawyers, his own campaign manager, his attorney general, and others Donald Trump appointed to leadership positions in the U.S. Department of Justice. President Trump's advisors knew what he was saying was false and they told him so directly and repeatedly. The testimony from our first two hearings is available on the Select Committee's website, so all Americans can easily view it. In our next hearing on Thursday, the Select Committee will examine President Trump's relentless effort on January 6th and in the days beforehand to pressure Vice President Pence to refuse to count lawful electoral votes. As a federal judge has indicated, this likely violated two federal criminal statutes. President Trump had no factual basis for what he was doing, and he had been told it was illegal. Despite this, President Trump plotted with a lawyer named John Eastman and others to overturn the outcome of the election on January 6th. To give you a sense of the gravity of these issues, here is a clip of one of President Trump's own White House lawyers, Eric Hirschman, who talked to Mr. Eastman the day after January 6th? It was the day after. Uh, Eastman, I don't remember why he called me He's in a, or he texted me or called me, wanted to talk with me, and he said he couldn't reach others. And he started to ask me about something dealing with Georgia and preserving something potentially for appeal. Uh, and I said to him, are you out of your effing mind? Right. I said, I said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth from now on. Orderly transition. And he screamed, I said, I don't want to hear any other effing words coming out of your mouth, no matter what, other than orderly transition, repeat those words to me. And I screamed, that is Eventually, he said, orderly transition. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. And then I hung up on him. 
Those are, that's advice from a lawyer, right? When you're saying, when you're a lawyer, getting advice from another lawyer, saying, get a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, well, and do you know what law firm that Eric Kirschman was from? I do not know. <laughs> Kasowitz Benson Torres. Mm, interesting. New York's bankruptcy experts and Israeli agents. Yeah, I think it was a Friedman, the, the fourth partner there, went off to be Trump's uh, ambassador to Israel. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, really? oh yeah, yeah, no. So look, these folks that are testifying now, yeah. let's not confuse them for good people. Right. I mean, these right. the reason they were there... And look, this is at the witnesses at every good criminal trial, right? Mm. And this is not a trial, but, you know, one of the issues is always witness credibility. And when somebody agrees to testify for the government against criminals, usually they do the criminals. Mm. You know, the really good ones. I mean, you can get some stuff off of forensic evidence from the FBI, you know, wiretaps and bank records and that stuff. That's why taking them out on tax evasion is so easy. You don't got to go get any witnesses. But if you get somebody to flip who's like, oh, no, we were there to rob that bank. You know, that usually seals the case. However, there's always a witness credibility thing because, well, these guys hang out with criminals. But of course they do. That's who hangs out with criminals is other criminals. Um, I think the story of the Jan 6 hearings and maybe the eventual trials will be which criminals just couldn't take it anymore. It was like, it's over, orderly transition, lawyer up, we're all dead, I'm out. I mean, Bill Barr, as much as, you know, admirably, he gave a very... uh, free-flowing kind of testimony to the committee that we saw yesterday. And we'll show you some of that in a bit as well. But, you know, he's still Bill Barr. He's still the same guy who proved some of that crackdown around um, the Black Lives Matter movement um, after the George Floyd death. He, uh, you know, there's a lot yeah, of questions. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about how he even got the job. There's a lot of questions about this huge cover-up that he did for Mueller. I mean, those are all black marks, almost certainly against Bill Barr. However, I'll welcome him um, to the table if he's going to say the things he did yesterday against Donald Trump, because the gravity of the situation was so serious that it did take the attorney general and a bunch of other people and a letter from 11 former defense secretaries to say, hang on, something really, really critical is about to happen in America if we let this go through. I mean, there was a lot of resignations that certainly helped identify for some people that something incredibly serious was about to happen. In terms of the big lie itself, you know, these are the people that we heard yesterday from Bill Stepien, who described himself as being part of Team Normal. And he said, and I know you've disputed that, and I totally agree with you now, having heard your fine rational arguments as to why he certainly was not Team Normal, but certainly more normal than this crew out here, who seem to be the leading voices in the big lie. And it's John Eastman there in the hat that you see in the bottom row next to Michael Flynn, that lawyer that we just played you, that clip that Liz Cheney just shared with Eric uh, Hirschman. He was referring to John Eastman when he said, get yourself a criminal defense lawyer because you're in that much trouble. And oh, in fact, yeah. and now a court judge has agreed with that saying, this guy, was, this was illegal. This was illegal stuff. And so this man... Yeah, Central District of California, when they were arguing over privilege, one of the things that pierces privilege is the crime fraud mm-hmm. exception. You know, the court was actually very generous towards Eastman on whether or not he really had a client there, whether or not there really was upcoming litigation, or if it was just for propaganda purposes, which is what the Jan 6 committee argued, et cetera, and so on. And then, of course, this isn't privileged because this is part of a crime. And the judge, like, gave almost every single point to Eastman and said, no, well, well we're going to make all draw all inferences in the most favorable light to him on whether this was a client or whether there might have been a lawsuit coming up. Oh, but this is definitely criminal so <laughs> right <laughs> turn him over the emails asshole um oh, it's incredibly damning and of course this is donald trump's chief accomplice this is the guy who basically plotted all of this with the former president of the united states this was the guy who came up with a plan this was the guy who consulted regularly with the trump on what should be done and shouldn't be done this is a guy who seemed to on one week none of this was legal and then the following week came up with a strategy that hey maybe now it is legal And then he's surrounded by all these other buffoons who, you know, Rudy Giuliani with his ridiculous allegations night after night on every media outlet and press conferences with Sidney Powell. Again, ludicrous allegations, made up allegations. And then, you know, it included people like Jenny Thomas, which I still think is one of the most remarkable people involved in an attempted coup of the United States of America is the wife of the sitting justice of the Supreme Court. Still, to this very day. Yep. She is one of the chief organizers of an attempt to overthrow the Constitution of the United States and the incoming president. And then Cleta Mitchell, which we will talk a lot about tonight. Because I've been doing a little bit of Do digging. Do we have around. to? Well, you like some of this, I'm afraid. 
You might not like some of it, but I think it's going to be, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of digging around Cleta Mitchell's history and about what she's uh, been involved in. You know, she's been involved in that company with Steve Bannon's sister. Because, you know, who's heard of Steve Bannon's sister? I haven't heard of Steve Bannon's sister. He has siblings. That gets yeah. rid of my spore theory. Of yeah. the <laughs> well, I also, I've not seen very much about her at all, but that she was involved in politics, that she was actually involved in a not-for-profit that mysteriously in 2018 got $4.4 million invested into it out of nowhere. That money that was used to create documentaries for Bannon about President Trump and Xi, the Chinese Is premier. This Mitchell or his sister? Both. They were both involved in the same organization. She was the secretary, Cleta Mitchell, because she's actually quite close to Bannon. Now, this is one of those organizations that you look at. You know what this organization was? You won't remember this. Remember that that fund the wall campaign thing that suddenly Bannon was like, oh, yeah, we're going to fund the wall. Yeah, there were a bunch of indictments over it. Who can forget? Those indictments involved this particular company that Cleta Mitchell was the secretary of and that uh, Bannon's sister was working on. You know, Okay, you're right. I like it. It's it's pretty interesting. Cleta Mitchell was involved with the we build the wall thing. Yeah, Yeah, which, you know, clearly was an illegal event. Like that's an illegal company, at least. You know, I'll I'll tell you lots about her. We've got lots to talk about her later on. I just don't want to jump the shark here because I do want to remind everyone of another key thing that happened last night which is the testimony of what really happened on January the 3rd. So the election night, people are at the White House and this incredible testimony that they were able to get from Ivanka, from Bill Barr, from a number of people and from Jared Kushner. And I really want you to listen to what Jared Kushner has to say here because I think Jared sort of steps in it a little bit. While he's trying to be all snarky and covering up for himself, he actually steps in it because he sort of admits that he wasn't doing what we know he was doing, which is basically stealing the campaign funds. So let's take a listen, if we can here. Um, No, it's not. Okay, so I don't have the one I was going to play. So let's talk a little bit more about Cleta Mitchell. So let's introduce everyone to Cleta, because you remember we showed you the slide recently. This is Cleta's wonderful world. She's Bannon's lawyer. She's uh, Lisa Nelson, who is Alec, the Coke-funded... Um, ah, okay. Uh, yeah, she's also the, on the Council for National Policy. You remember the Council for National Policy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cleta's on, yeah. on that board there. She seems to be in that video, people say, with Enrique Tario and with uh, uh, Stuart Rhodes. Remind me again, I can't get this right for some reason. Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers, thank you. Prison bait. It is like something in my head. Wrote those two you things were remanded to custody. Right. And then she's also, the, you know, she's very close to Jenny, as we've mentioned, Virginia Thomas, the wife of the Supreme Court. And she's also on that call with Donald Trump when he's talking to Raffsenberger in Georgia, demanding that they find him the 11,000 votes. She's on that call with Donald Trump. So she's actually a very key witness, if not a key participant in that shakedown of a Georgia Secretary of State to try and find extra votes for Donald Trump so he could win the election. She also has this unusual position now that she's appointed by Donald Trump to the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. This is an actual American institution. This is a government institution, which she is going to be sitting on as a board member all the way through to 2023, because this is the commission that does independent, it helps people understand how to vote, basically. They tell people about election official security, about the chain of custody, best practices, election audits across the country. Guess who appointed her to that position last minute before leaving the White House? Donald Trump. This is a very conflicted person to be on a committee like that. I mean, you know, not only seen in a garage meeting with Tario and Stuart Rhodes, she's, you know, Bannon's buddy. She's Jenny Thomas's buddy and Donald Trump's buddy. And she's also going to be telling people how to vote come the next few elections and be an actual official. So it is interesting that she is that person. But the one that I really wanted to focus on was her, what uh, she does with the lovely Lisa Nelson of Alex. So I'm going to show you a quick clip here. Not a clip, I'll just read you this whole thing. Where basically, this is when Lisa Nelson was describing how she had decided that it was time to turn the attention of the population to challenging the Electoral College vote. So we've been focused on the national vote. and Obviously, we all want President Trump to win and win the national vote. But it's very clear from all the comments and all the suggestions up front that really what it comes down to is the states and the state legislators. Her organization, she told them, had already drafted a model resolution to make sure there's no confusion among conservative legislators around national popular vote and the Electoral College. 
Fair enough. Nelson noted that her group was exploring additional ways to invalidate a potential Trump loss in consultation with three election experts, including CNP Board of Governors member Cleta Mitchell, who I know you all know on trying to identify what are those action items that legislators can take in their states. And I think that they've identified a few. They could write a letter to the Secretary of State questioning the validity of an election and saying, what did happen that night? So we're drafting a lot of those things. If you have ideas in that area, let us know and we'll get them to the state legislators and they can start a kind of exercise to exercise their political muscle in that area. This is months before anyone was challenging the election. This is months before the Cleo yeah, Mitchell and Lisa Nelson were already building a campaign to challenge the results. Absolutely. I mean, they knew the whole point, you know, a lot of these people answer to foreign powers. So what they really want is for the American elections to seem as illegitimate as the people who are paying them. So yeah, I mean, it is, it is, this is the Cokes, basically. This is the Coke family that runs Alec. This is where the money comes from. This is a family that goes way back to Russia in terms of its steel business, way, way, way back. Patriarch there certainly made a lot of his money under Stalin, you know, was mining steel in Russia. So, you know, you could look at those routes with some interest. There's also this organization that we've mentioned. So Cleta and her client, Steve Bannon's sister, are a part of this organization called Citizen of the American Republic. And this is the organization which mysteriously uh, helped do the Build the Wall project for Steve Bannon, but it is also the organization that funded a lot of films that Steve Bannon produced on behalf of the Chinese government, it appears. Because these are films about China and Trump, and which is not something necessarily you would have done by yourself unless the money was maybe coming from China. So that's why I'm suggesting it might be that. These are what we were talking about earlier, some headlines to keep in mind. This is the same company that federal prosecutors have looked into in terms of those indictments that came down. And they're the ones that federal prosecutors wanted to shut down. They called it murky. And that's why we have a lot of this detail around citizens of the American Republic. You can see in this description there from a tax return that I pulled up, it says that they're involved in documentary and production and promotions. Citizens of the American Republic C-O-A-R, provided initial funding for the production of documentaries, Trump at War and the Rise of Xi to educate the American citizenry about economic nationalism and America's first foreign policy. And other key issues that were front and center across the nation in 2018. Expenditures included also the costs of promotion, screenings, events, travel, and educational material regarding the issues described in the documentaries. And then it goes media production and availability. COAR is dedicated to using not just conservative media, but also to promoting cause mission and principles through speakers and guests on mainstream media, which I guess means they would take other people that they could convince to be conservative and, and try place them on mainstream media, not just conservative media. But it is interesting that they got this $4 million here, $4,107,000 in 2018 out of nowhere. 2017, they had no money. Suddenly in 2018, Bam, $4 million, which they used for all these expenditures, including traveling and all these other yada things. And you can see how the money splits out. Now, Cleo herself does not earn any money, but Mary E. Meredith, Steve Bannon's sister, earns money, $20,000. And Dad Fluete is the treasurer director. Now, you know him. Why well, do some people know him? Because he belongs to the Mercer family. He's the bag man for the Mercer oh. family. Uh, okay. Treason Corp. Inc. Limited. Okay. Yeah, yeah, basically. So now this is the person, Cleta and Ginny, who claim to be independent conservatives about America, are in bed with Steve Bannon, who most of us believe is a Chinese asset of some sort, all the way back 2017, but probably sooner, because we certainly know that Ginny and Bannon were in bed with each other for many, many years before. And these are the people who land up. Metaphorically. Yeah. Oh, yes, metaphorically. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. Please, God. <laughs> Please, God, metaphorically. These are the people that land up trying to overthrow the Constitution and attempt a coup for Donald Trump. It's mind-blowing to me that these people aren't behind bars. Well, it takes a while to put them behind bars. And, you know, you've got complicated, assuming that this is criminal activity outside of its, its ultimate end, which is for um, coup d'etat. Mm-hmm. treasony kind of thing, you know, but there's also financial crimes that go on into this. That was one of the big phrases that we got from yesterday's hearing was misappropriation of funds. Because mm-hmm. if you induce fraud like that, if you cause people to make a payment thinking it's one thing and you turn it from your decision, you turn that money somewhere else and you don't tell the people where it's going, that's fraud. So 
And, and I want to be able to play that, that incredible piece that they read last night about how $250 million went missing uh, as Donald Trump was fighting this supposed fraud in the election. But I did find the tape of Jared and others talking about what happened on election night. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And then we'll play the $250 million. And I think you'll get a sense by the end of all of this that these guys are just criming their way through this. Just a lot of crime. Remember where you were on the night of the election, November the 3rd? I was at the White House. You know, where specifically over the course of that night you spent your time within the White House? There was an event that was organized in the residence. So I moved between um, the residence, a room sort of off the residence um, where some family members were. I take it the president was upstairs in the residence. He was upstairs. I was we were kind of on the first floor, so not uh, upstairs we were with uh, uh, mostly with Ivanka and her brothers and, and a couple other people who'd be coming in and out. Can you just describe the atmosphere? What were people expecting that night when you got to the White House? I think that there was typically for people who show up there um, on election night, it's going to be a self-select, more positive environment. Uh, I think people were a little bit nervous, not knowing what was going to happen with the red wave or the red mirage as the debate was being carried out. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. That is a big get for the Biden campaign. Arizona's called. Do you remember that? I do. What do you remember happening uh, where you were when Arizona was called? Um, I, uh, there was a surprise at the call. Who was surprised? Most, most everyone in the room. Were you being one of them? Yes. Did that shift the atmosphere, the attitude in the White House? Completely. How so? Can you describe that? Because Fox News was the first one to go out and say that. So was it anger kind of directed towards Fox News for making a call more so than a disappointment that maybe the campaign lost Arizona? All the above. So both anger and disappointment. Uh, both disappointment with Fox and um, concern that maybe our data or our numbers weren't accurate. Were you in the White House residence during the sort of past midnight into the early morning hours of, of November 4th? Uh, yes, oh, sure. It went over beyond midnight, yes. Do you remember Rudy Giuliani being at the White House on election night and into the early hours the next morning? I do. What do you remember about when he came? Um, <clears throat> he... He was... Um, there were, I had heard that he was uh, upstairs, you know, in that aforementioned uh, reception area. And um, he was looking to talk to the president. And it was suggested instead that he come talk uh, to several of us um, down off the map room. You said that Mr. You had heard that Mr. Giuliani wanted to talk to the president and then he was directed your way. Did you end up talking to Mr. Giuliani when he was directed your way? I did. What was that conversation? A lot of conversations were directed my way. Uh, <laughs> um, a few of us, myself, Jason Miller, Justin Clark, and Mark Meadows gathered um, in a room off the map room. Uh, to to listen uh, to to whatever Rudy presumably wanted to say to the president. Was there anyone in that conversation who, in your observation, had had, had too much to drink? Uh, like Mayor Giuliani. Tell me more about that. What was your observation about his uh, potential intoxication during that that discussion about? what the president should say uh, when he's addressed the nation on election night. And the mayor was definitely intoxicated, but I do not um, know that his level of intoxication when he spoke uh, with the president, for example. Were you part of any discussions uh, with uh, the, the 
people I mentioned, Mr. Stepien, Mr. Meadows, or anyone else, about whether the president should make uh, any sort of speech on election night. I, I, I mean, I, I spoke to the president. They may have been present, but um, president spoke to the president several times that night. There were suggestions by, I believe it was Mayor Giuliani, to go and declare victory and say that we won it outright. It was far too early to be making any calls like that. Um, ballots, ballots were still being counted. Ballots were still going to be counted for days. Um, and it was far too early to be making any proclamation like that. I remember saying that, I, to the best of my memory, and I was saying that we should not go and declare victory until we had a better sense of the numbers. Okay. Can you be more specific about that conversation, in particular what Mayor Giuliani said, your response, and then anybody else in the room's response? I think effectively Mayor Giuliani was saying, we want it. They're stealing it from us. Where'd all the votes come from? We need to go say that we won. And essentially that anyone who didn't agree with that position was being weak. What was your view at the time as to what he should or shouldn't say? I don't know that I had a, a firm view um, as to what he should say uh, in that circumstance. The results were still being counted. Um, it was becoming clear that the race would not be called um, on election night. My belief my recommendation was to say that votes were still being counted. It's too early to 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 tell. Um, too early to, to call the race. But um, you know, we uh, proud of the race we we run we ran, um, and we you know think we're think we're in a in, in good position. Um, and we'll have more to say about this, you know, the next day or the next day, whenever we had something to say. And did anybody who was a part of that conversation disagree with your message? Yes. Who is that? The, the president disagreed with that. Well, there you go. I mean, yeah, they're the most trustworthy people in the world, but even they're saying the president is the one who disagreed with that. He, they're saying that even though there was all this information, Former president was the one who decided to go ahead with this crazy plan. Pretty Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's they're doing a good job making the case mm-hmm. here. There was the intro, the overture, if you will, mm-hmm. of, you know, every president has agreed to give up power pretty easy, except for one. Let's mm-hmm. tell you that story. And first is the big lie. Well, we didn't really lose. Well, not only was that wrong, they knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And in a prosecution sense, that's really huge because that establishes state of mind, that you are aware that you're committing a crime, that you're aware that you're not right. And especially if you're making statements to other people that are fraudulent, false in nature, then that further establishes that you're conspiring with others to do something that you ought not do. Mm -hmm. So you have what the prosecutors would call mens rea. Mm -hmm. That's the mindset. And you already with motive is you don't want to go to prison, <laughs> you know, right. so you got motive, you got mindset. And then, then you look at the actions that are taken. And I think we're going to get to that when we get to pushing Mike Pence to do something. And then again, with the fake slate of electors, there are actions taken to create forgeries in furtherance of the conspiracy and arrange the attackers in furtherance of the conspiracy, not just in the United States Capitol, but in many, many state capitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about how on the same day of January 6th, there were paramilitary guys who went into the Missouri Capitol. I've talked to some legislators who were like, oh, yeah, that was freaky. And then they didn't do anything because it didn't happen. That was organized out of here. And those actions, then eventually you had the attack and you had the attempt to obstruct this you know, official proceeding. And what were they going to get for it? They were going to overthrow the American government. Mm -hmm. That'd be a great, you know, when we're done with that, maybe the American people will be ready for what the DOJ can tell them about the same thing, which is, all right, and here's why that's illegal. Because it's illegal. 
<laughs> they would have overthrown this constitution. They would have overthrown the yep. government and they would have made $250 million, which a chump change. Here's the story from last night. And kept the country and yeah, sold and the country the off the parts. I mean, all yeah. bad. Yeah, all, all bad. bad. But this is one piece that I just want to emphasize for everyone because I think it is so important. It was really well done. It's the last clip I'll play from last night. People really need to pay attention to this. He stole $250 million. Donald Trump stole $250 million on this nonsense about the big lie, which was completely fraudulent. I can never steal more than $30 million. Senior investigative counsel at the House of Representatives the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Between Election Day and January 6th, the Trump campaign sent millions of fundraising emails to Trump supporters, sometimes as many as 25 a day. The emails claimed the, quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election, implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election, and encouraged them to, quote, fight back. But as the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed. I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Is it fair to say the Election Defense Fund was another, I think we called it a marketing tactic? Yes. And tell us about these funds as marketing tactics. Uh, just a topic matter uh, where money could potentially go to be, how money could potentially be used. The claims that the election was stolen were so successful. President Trump and his allies raised $250 million, nearly $100 million in the first week after the election. On November 9th, 2020, President Trump created a separate entity called the Save America PAC. Most of the money raised went to this newly created PAC, not to election-related litigation. The select committee discovered that the Save America PAC made millions of dollars of contributions to pro-Trump organizations, including $1 million to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' charitable foundation, $1 million to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials, $204,857 to the Trump Hotel Collection, and over $5 million to Event Strategies, Inc., the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. The evidence developed by the select committee highlights how the Trump campaign aggressively pushed false election claims to fundraise, telling supporters it would be used to fight voter fraud that did not exist. The emails continued through January 6th, even as President Trump spoke on the ellipse. 30 minutes after the last fundraising email was sent, the Capitol was breached. I just want to emphasize that $5.5 million that went to the event company that set up a rally at the ellipse that day. Broad Corruption leading to another corruption scheme, to another violent, seditious conspiracy. This is the loop of crime that we're seeing happen here. Yeah. Rolling into yep. each other. Yep. Sounds about right. I don't know. Uh, you know, Eric, this is to think that people think like this is kind of stunning to me. I mean, I sometimes you think, okay, you know, it's people have devious minds, but the fact that people would do this to their country, the fact that people will do this to the lives of the people that died that day, the fact that people don't care at all, people who will have well, um, PTSD for the rest of their lives, they don't care well, thing because they, that, they want to make the money. That's why they did this. Uh, well, first of all, that's sociopaths for you. Sociopaths uh, don't care. They take yeah. the money and they're bad guys. They're in every movie yeah. pretty much. Um, but that's why you needed all the propaganda to be able to convince the people attacking that they're the good guys. Mm -hmm. Now, most people that are in attack position think that they're the good guys. It's very few people that know that they're the bad guys when mm -hmm. they're doing it. It's like they're freedom fighters. The firefighters fight fire. What do freedom fighters fight? Um, they needed this whole backstory of, oh, well, we really won when really you didn't. And in fact, but you know, you wouldn't have as much of the house of representatives without gerrymandering. Mm. there's a lot of leaning on the scales here and it's like no this guy is not that popular and the ultra right-wing stuff is considered ultra because it's a departure from general principles of governance uh that might have been called conservative 
before and no that's not a majority it's not 70 percent of people that believe in these things still you need the story to give the small slice of extremists who are going to go out and uh, load up and do something mm-hmm. stupid as uh, trying to attack the capital direct on you have to convince loyal patriots and american people to do stupid things by lying to them yeah brainwashing yeah that's how you get this done patriotism uh, means different things to different people and it's kind of a trope. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people who have been convinced that you can be patriotic by saying to yourself and others that only your perspective on America is what counts. And so, and then anybody gets in the way of that, you know, you can feel okay if you kill them because they were getting in the way of progress or whatever. So, I mean, yeah. And that's kind of what happened here. I mean, we've talked about this. 25% of the people that actually were at the riot part of the attack had declared bankruptcy recently. And, you know, that's people who feel hard done by and were no doubt profiled and continually fed this message. But A lot of people uh, with mental illness as well were profiled in religious institutions and churches and uh, identified as people that they could, uh, you know, radicalize to go to to the events. So. You know, this is a very deep-seated and really complicated operation that was done on America. And hopefully this is America beginning to wake up to this. I hope these hearings are actually breaking through. I feel like they might be. Although yesterday's one I really wanted to see in prime time, which is why we're airing so much of it tonight, raised um, the Mercer family again. I thought it was just important to, to bookend this because it was the Mercer family that actually brought... Donald Trump to the White House. It was the Mercer family that Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway worked for when Steve Bannon was still working at Breitbart. Those are the people who were ultimately the campaign chairman, I believe they called him, um, the campaign manager in the last few weeks there of the campaign in 2016. And the fact that Cleta Mitchell is in a company with one of their bag men and Steve Bannon, and she's the same person who's sitting on a call with the Georgia Secretary of State asking him to find him votes same person is working with uh, Lisa Nelson and Alec on ways to, you know, make sure that Trump doesn't lose, officially lose, with the state legislatures. She's the same person, the same person who did this in 2016. There she is in 2020, still operating right next to Donald Trump. I mean, sure. can't be clearer than that. I don't think. We've not moved into a safer place yet. You know, certainly the GOP is not in a safer place when these people are still operating so openly and uh, clearly within there. Um, We're running out of time. Should I play this Roger Stone clip one more time? It's tiny, but it ties in so much. If you must. I I know. I don't like this into Roger, but they were talking about 30 minutes before people have breached the Capitol. They were still sending out emails for fundraisers. Emails like this. To help us have the impact we want to change history and to stand up for the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln, please go to stopthesteal.org. That's stopthesteal.org and help us pay for the staging, the transportation, and most importantly, the security of our peaceful protesters. Thank you and God bless you. I'll see you in Washington, January 6th. Gross. So the paying for the security was that happy the Proud Boys to show up? I think so. I think it's exactly what the Oath Keepers show up because yeah, it's cool because that means you funded some seditious uh, conspirators. Ah, you make a very good point. Well done, Eric. That is, in fact, when I first listened to that, I was like, "Is he talking about the Proud Boys?" It must be because that was his security. Those are the people running around. Security of our very peaceful murderers. Yeah, who are going to uh, basically storm the Capitol, be first past all the security perimeters to make sure that everybody else can follow them into the Capitol while the president is still speaking. The president even hadn't finished speaking. There's a lot of corruption going on here, a lot of crime, and a lot of people that still need to answer for their crimes. And there'll be lots more this week um, as we get more hearings. So the one tomorrow was canceled just simply because there's so much work that goes into these uh, hearings. They're not going to be ready for tomorrow's one. I was looking forward to that. That was going to be the corruption in the DOJ you know, the attempt to install a new attorney general. That is not happening tomorrow. But Thursday oh, no? at 1 p.m., uh, there will be another hearing. And this will be the Pence card, which I call it the Pence card because that's the original name that uh, the right wing sort of came up for. This is the Pence card meaning like the wild card. You know, is, is, we're going to throw Pence in there and see if we can you know, shift everything by throwing him in there. And uh, of course, they couldn't. And of course, we know what happened. But we're going to find out in great detail how concerned they were for the vice president's life how much pressure there was to get him to participate in this horrible, horrible scheme and how he ultimately uh, 
you know, did the right thing, which I guess, you know, I would not have pegged the guy to do that at the start of the Trump presidency. And then there you are at the end being a little surprised by that twist. On that note, I think uh, we've done our grand service tonight. We've done our full hour. I'm going to leave with you with one longer last clip because I do think Liz Cheney sums it up very well. This is the opening remarks of the vice chair yesterday morning. I'm going to play the whole thing. It's worth your time because it really sets up what they were able to say yesterday and also uh, what they're planning to do as the hearings continue over the next few days. I look forward to seeing you then. Have a good night, Eric. Ciao. My name is Amanda Wick, and I'm senior investigative counsel with the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Today, we will begin looking at the initial part of that plan. President Trump's effort to convince millions of Americans that the election was stolen from him by overwhelming fraud. A federal court has already reviewed elements of the committee's evidence on this point and said this, quote, in the months following the election, Numerous credible sources from the president's inner circle to agency leadership and statisticians informed President Trump and Dr. Eastman that there was no evidence of election fraud, close quote, sufficient to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The court's opinion methodically documents each of the principal reasons for that conclusion, and I would urge all those watching to read it. Today, we will begin to show the American people some of our evidence. Today, you will hear much more from a former Attorney General Bill Barr's recorded testimony, and you will hear in greater detail what others in the department told President Trump that his claims of election fraud were nonsense. You will also hear much more from President Trump's own campaign experts, who had also concluded that his fraud claims could not be supported. Let me focus briefly on just three points now. First, you will hear firsthand testimony that the president's campaign advisors urged him to await the counting of votes and not to declare victory on election night. The president understood even before the election that many more Biden voters had voted by mail because President Trump ignored the advice of his campaign experts and told his supporters only to vote in person. Donald Trump knew before the election that the counting of those mail-in ballots in several states would not begin until late in the day and would not be complete for multiple days. This was expected, reported, and widely known. You will also hear testimony that President Trump rejected the advice of his campaign experts on election night and instead followed the course recommended by an apparently inebriated Rudy Giuliani to just claim he won and insist that the vote counting stop to falsely claim everything was fraudulent. He falsely told the American people that the election was not legitimate. In his words, quote, a major fraud. Millions of Americans believed him. Second, Pay attention to what Donald Trump and his legal team said repeatedly about Dominion voting machines. Far-flung conspiracies with a deceased Venezuelan communist allegedly pulling the strings. This was, quote, complete nonsense, as Bill Barr said. President Trump's own campaign advisors, his Department of Justice, and his cybersecurity experts all told him the same thing. Here, for example, is White House lawyer Eric Hirschman. His view was shared by many of the Trump team whom we interviewed. I thought the Dominion stuff was, I never saw any evidence whatsoever to sustain those allegations. And third, as Mike Pence's staff started to get a sense for what Donald Trump had planned for January 6th, they called the campaign experts to give them a briefing on election fraud and all the other election claims. On January 2nd, the general counsel of the Trump campaign, Matthew Morgan, this is the campaign's chief lawyer, summarized what the campaign had concluded weeks earlier, that none of the arguments about fraud or anything else could actually change the outcome of the election. Generally discussed on that topic was whether the fraud, maladministration, abuse, or irregularities 
uh, if aggregated and read most favorably to the campaign, would that be outcome determinative? And um, I think everyone's assessment in the room, at least amongst the staff, Mark Short, myself, and Greg Jacob, was that it was not sufficient to be outcome determinative. As is obvious, this was before the attack on the Capitol. The Trump campaign legal team knew there was no legitimate argument, fraud, irregularities, or anything to overturn the election. And yet President Trump went ahead with his plans for January 6th anyway. Mr. Chairman, hundreds of our countrymen have faced criminal charges. Many are serving criminal sentences because they believed what Donald Trump said about the election and they acted on it. They came to Washington, D.C. at his request. They marched on the Capitol at his request. And hundreds of them besieged and invaded the building at the heart of our constitutional republic. As one conservative editorial board put it recently, quote, Mr. Trump betrayed his supporters by conning them on January 6th, and he is still doing it. Another conservative editorial board that has long supported President Trump said last week, Donald Trump, quote, won't stop insisting that the 2020, that 2020 was stolen, even though he has offered no proof that that is true. And this, Donald Trump now, quote, clings to more fantastical theories, such as Dinesh D'Souza's debunked 2,000 mules, even as recounts in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin confirm Trump lost. Those are the correct conclusions to draw from the evidence gathered by this committee. We have much more evidence to show the American people on this point than we can reasonably show in one hearing. But today, we will begin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.